episode 179 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Pilot the Pilot is brought to you by the Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Hi, I'm Julia Harrington at Pilot Julia on social media. I am a corporate captain. I'm the captain of two different citations for a Chicago-based company, and I own NY Aerobatics in a decathlon. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today, I am talking with a fellow Chicago business aviator and Pilot Julia. Find out why Pilot Julia chose a school with aviation and how it was an afterthought for most of her life until she was in college and also find out why and how she chose business aviation and specifically acrobatics for fun and how she bought her new awesome airplane. Aviation Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. Check out Pilot the Pilot on Instagram and Pilot's Coffee on Instagram as well as our website, pilotscoffee.com. The best coffee in the world. Aviation, travel, just coffee in general. It is so good. So check that out and send it to a friend. Aviation Nation, I don't want to keep you much longer. Just have a couple announcements. Oshkosh coming soon. We're going to be there the 28th through the 30th, possibly the 31st. Not too sure yet. We're going to be doing two meetups on the 29th, I believe, on Thursday. Whatever that Thursday is, we're doing two meetups, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Stay tuned for that. Some big announcements coming in the next few days. So, Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I don't want to keep you any longer. So, without any further ado, here's Pilot Julia. Julia, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Like I said before, uh, we talked, what was that? That was a while ago now, wasn't it? Uh, when we, yeah. Yeah, that was a, yeah, it feels like it's forever ago. Time just goes by so fast, but we got you here now. We're going to have you on the podcast and share your story. The first question I always ask everyone is, why aviation? Why did you want to become a pilot? Yeah, for me, it goes back uh, quite a while. So my dad started taking me to Oshkosh Air Show when I was about eight years old. And that was really the spark for me. Uh, just being at the air show, around the airplanes, uh, watching the air show performances and meeting so many pilots and having that just be the norm uh, that, you know, you're just everyone you interact with as a pilot. I knew I wanted to be a part of this community. I knew that I wanted to fly in some capacity. And I was so attracted to the aerobatic side of things and just general aviation and like the really tight knit community there. So, yeah, it was definitely the air show scene that drew me in, uh, when I was young. So why did your dad bring you there? Was it just like, you looked in the paper and saw an ad, <laughs> Hey, Oshkosh, let's bring my daughter there. And maybe she'll like aviation or see any aviation already. And it was kind of like a constant thing. Your family would go up to Oshkosh. So yeah, my dad had been going for quite a few years before he brought me, he wanted me to be old enough that I could like make it through an air show day without, you know, like having a breakdown. So eight years old was he, <laughs> when he decided that was good. But he has always loved airplanes. He's not a pilot himself, but he has always been a big aviation enthusiast and lover of airplanes. When he was young, you know, he was told he couldn't be a pilot because he had bad eyesight, which in the 60s was kind of true. But um, but yeah, so he just has really stayed connected to the aviation community. He has a lot of friends who are pilots. So it was very natural for him to introduce it to both me and my younger brother and uh, bring us with to 
air shows and we would go flying with his buddies who had small airplanes around Chicago. And uh, it was just a blast and something that I was very attracted to. The other thing is, yeah, so when he would go to Oshkosh in the years before I could go, I would just beg him to take me and then he'd always bring me back a t-shirt. Um, so yeah, it was like a lot of anticipation built up just because he spoke so fondly of it. Like he loved it so much that by the time I was actually old enough to be able to go, like the hype and the expectations were so high, but I, it totally met all of those expectations and I had such a blast. It's crazy to think that Oshkosh is the biggest air show in the world, but yet so many people don't get to go, which is hard to believe because they always talk about, oh, we had 600,000 people walk through. And it's like, well, surely there's 600,000 people that are interested in aviation. And that's like all of them. But it's crazy. Like people on the West Coast, East Coast, the South, the Northeast, just the Southwest, they don't get a chance to go. So talk a little bit about kind of your first experience. I don't know if you can remember from when you were eight, but like your first real memories from Oshkosh and kind of just the overall experience of just being there rather than hearing about it and being engulfed with aviation. Cause I mean, I love Oshkosh. It is a lot. <laughs> it, it's, it's really hot. Uh, there's aviation everywhere. You can be very, very overwhelmed and you don't kind of know where to go, but talk a little bit about your experiences from going to Oshkosh. And uh, so that if they don't get to go, they can live it through you. Totally. Yeah. So my first one, I have a couple of memories from my first one that really stick out. Um, well, one, we tent camped. So <laughs> me and my dad in a tent. And, you know, it always rains like at least once torrentially. So that's just an experience in and of itself. But I think it, you know, it made me tougher. So, <laughs> but in terms of uh, the air show itself, uh, I have a couple of really distinct memories of sitting and watching the air show with him and him like pointing out Patty Wagstaff to me and saying, like, hey, check this woman out. She's really cool. And I was like, oh, that's a woman pilot. That's so awesome. And she flew, you know, the crap out of her airplane. And it was just like so awesome to watch. And I was so inspired by that. And later on met her and she has just become a really strong presence in my life. But yeah, that was kind of the spark of that and feeling so connected to her, just knowing that, you know, she had broken down barriers and done things that people didn't think she could do and just... I loved that, like her story and everything. And we were watching the air show with um, my dad has some friends who are uh, sarcastic, uh, shocking. I know pilots who, you know, like sarcasm and giving each other crap, but we were watching, watching the air show with uh, his buddy's Bonanza, like sitting on the wing of his buddy's Bonanza. And uh, my dad was like, Oh yeah, Julia's going to become a pilot now. And they were like, girls can't be pilots. And I was like, yes, I can. It- they were just giving me crap, but you know, it's just that kind of fun, uh, family like community is really, uh, one of the, my favorite things about Oshkosh for sure. Did you, so kind of mentioning about the, that little sarcasm part, which is, it's, it's funny, but it's also kind of annoying. I'm sure too. Like someone telling you that as a joke, it's like, yo, hold up, bro. I'm probably a better pilot than you. All this kind of stuff. Like you can't touch me in an airplane, blah, blah, blah. But how does that did that deter you at all? Like coming up in aviation, where did you know you're just going to be a pilot and you, whatever anyone said, you just kind of didn't listen to it and you just went for it? Or did that kind of sit in the back of your mind a little bit and kind of mess with you a little bit? Be like, well, can I be a pilot? That's totally a fair question. I think for some people, you know, it, it can get to you, um, especially, you know, if you hear the same things over and over again. I, you know, try not to take most things too seriously. I like to let things roll off my back and just, you know, take it in stride. Um, and, but at the same time, I think if I did let it get to me at all, I used it as fuel for my fire to really go and pursue the things I wanted to do. 
the thing about it is when I knew I wanted to be a pilot, yeah, when I was eight, I didn't want to be an airline pilot. And I had no clue exactly what path I would be able to take or how I would actually turn it into a career or even if I would, or if I would just be a pilot, um, you know, as a hobby for fun, I wasn't really sure how I was going to like incorporate it into my life. I just knew that I was going to go for it. Um, so yeah, I feel like I used it as, as motivation to go for those goals, but also, um, I mean, I just think it's funny. I'm a pretty sarcastic and stubborn person anyway. So, uh, I fit right in, in that crowd. <laughs> How important was it for you to find someone that looked like you, like a paddywhack staff or just another girl in aviation? Did that really kind of cement your feelings of being a pilot, seeing someone like you, like, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Or kind of similar to what we're talking about, you could, we're just going to do it no matter what. Yeah, I definitely think it helps. You know, I can't really speak to what I would have thought if I hadn't had role models to look up to just because I'm so I feel like I'm so fortunate being of like this generation where we have these trailblazers to look up to. Um, I do think it's important to have representation. But um, I also am very stubborn. So I might have made it happen either way, who's to know but I love having really strong, um, passionate role models to look up to. Uh, and, you know, especially as an adult, you know, you can go meet a lot of these people and uh, make friends with them and just like mentorship relationships. And especially because aviation is such like kind of a tight knit community. It's not quite like other industries where if there's like the superstars of the industry, they're super out of reach. Um, everyone is kind of accessible, especially at like conferences and air shows, you know, you can really just go meet and talk to these people. And I think that level of connection is such a cool aspect of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and Oshkosh is kind of like the meaning of the nerds, right? <laughs> Everyone just gets totally. to be there and they all kind of av geek out. And uh, it's really cool to see. Um, yeah. Talking about what really caught kind of my interest is you said at eight years old, you knew you didn't want to be an airline pilot. How did you know I that? Know. <laughs> like what eight-year-old's like, I don't want to be an airline pilot. Like who? <laughs> it's just really funny to hear that. I know it's funny. And people ask me now, they're like, do you ever want to go to the airlines? And I'm like, honestly, no. And that has never really changed for me. It is, it is funny though. Yeah. So I think the real thing that I knew was that I thought being an airline pilot would be boring. Um, I still kind of think that having lots of friends who are airline pilots, um, no offense. Hey, it's a great career. Uh, I just, it didn't, feel like the right fit for me and my personality and what I was looking for out of my career. So I, I just kind of immediately knew that that was not in my uh, future, but I didn't really know how else to make aviation a career. You know, I knew air show pilots, but to be honest, uh, that's actually still a little bit elusive and, you know, quite a lofty goal if you want to do it safely. But as far as, you know, careers in corporate aviation, especially, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s, it, before we had things really like LinkedIn and whatnot, it seemed extremely elusive to get into corporate aviation. But I kind of, I was interested in it, but I was like, that seems almost impossible. I'll just go have a cool career doing something else and uh, fly aerobatics for fun. And that was kind of my plan when I was like a kid. Um because even up through high school, I actually didn't apply to college, any aviation colleges intentionally. I ended up at one on accident. <laughs> so yeah, it kind of worked out for the best. I applied to schools for broadcast journalism. Um, so yeah, I was going to be a news anchor. That's awesome. <laughs> and, 
Yeah. And uh, the school I ended and the only school that I applied to that had an aviation program was the school that I ended up going to uh, the University of Illinois in Champaign. And uh, I just kind of stumbled into switching majors after my first solo because my aviation courses were so much cooler than journalism. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know if you heard, but go Buckeyes. I'm sorry. I have to say that anytime I talk to someone from the Big Ten. (laughs) That's okay. I, uh, no offense. And no offense taken. Also, Illinois football kind of sucks. I love, (laughs) I love them dearly. They will always have a place in my heart, but yeah. Not the best. It's obvious, (laughs) but the games are still fun either way. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's really interesting. I think uh, before kind of we go dwell, dive more into your story per se, um, talking about there's a lot of people right now, especially that are thinking more about not flying in the airlines, I feel like, or maybe not thinking about, it, but it's in the back of their mind. I don't know because social media is helping get the word out. But like you said in the past, you don't really know much about corporate. You just hear these stories. And a lot of times it's either like the really, really great stories of that one person that has the perfect 91 job where they stay in Paris for like 10 days and their whole world is amazing. And then you hear the horror stories of like cleaning the lab and doing all this stuff or breaking and then just being stuck in some podunk town. But talk a little bit about your experience of getting into the private industry, uh, the corporate world per se. Uh, And because there's a lot of people listening right now that maybe want to make the jump from the airlines and they need more information. But talk about how you even went about getting your job and uh, what, what the corporate industry means to you. Totally. Yeah. It's, it is interesting because I feel like in this internet age, we're so much more connected and it's so much easier to become connected with these, uh, you know, important people within corporate aviation. Um, and I feel like that is such an important barrier that's kind of been brought down. It's not quite the same good old boys club where you really have to know somebody who knows somebody, but still making those connections virtually is super helpful. Um, but yeah, so my foray into corporate aviation is kind of funny. I, I don't know that I stumbled into it. I just, I just kind of took the opportunities that came my way and just kind of kept building from that and just said, okay, this seems like a great next step. Let's do that. So yeah, after I graduated college, I interned with Cessna. So that was my first like interaction with a like uh, the corporate side of aviation, and I flew 172s um, for their uh, internship program called the Discover Flying Challenge. May it rest in peace. It was an amazing program, but it costs way too much money to make sense for anybody unless we were actually selling airplanes. <laughs> but um, but yes, so that was like my first interaction, like really working with a high-level corporation as an employed pilot, technically. You know, it was an internship, but they paid me. So <laughs> um, I just love that like kind of flight department feel because, you know, um, at Cessna, they have, you know, their flight department of their demo pilots, their uh, flight test pilots, and then their, you know, corporate aviation side where they, you know, fly around their executives. And I just love the vibe of that. And so after that, I went back to flight instructing. But as soon as I had enough flight time um, to qualify for these SIC positions, I started applying to charter jobs on the internet, Um, literally just on LinkedIn, on Indeed. I would search through um, job postings and just send them my resume and see what happened. And I sent my resume to the charter company that I ended up flying for. I sent my resume to them on a Friday and they called me on Monday for a phone interview. So um, I think I just cast a wide net. I applied to like every charter place within like 100 miles of Chicago that would accept even anything close to the flight time that I had. <laughs> so I just really put myself out there. And I feel like that has you know, paid dividends hugely in my career, just the willingness to just kind of put myself out there and see what happens. And 
if they say no, that's totally fine. But if they're interested in bringing me onto their team, you know, then that's awesome. And that's just kind of how it worked out. Cause I technically had less flight time than what was listed on their um, posted minimums. But that's the other interesting thing about the corporate side is those numbers are not always as hard and fast, um, especially for the SIC positions. You know, for the PICs, a lot of times they have to meet uh, different insurance things or Wyvern, all that. I'm sure you you know all about that. But um, but on the SIC side, sometimes, you know, it's it can really just be if they need someone, especially depending on the airplane type. So yeah, just putting myself out there even when... It didn't necessarily seem like it made sense on paper, but you know, if you can get to the interview phase and then convince them that you are really interested in learning about corporate aviation and getting into, you know, either like 135 is such a great, uh, the charter world, especially small charter operators are such a great way to get into it. And then from there, you are really marketable to these like corporate flight departments and things like that. And I found my current job also on the internet. (laughs) But I had connected with, I actually had gotten to the final interview phases to be a uh, corporate pilot, actually for Textron. Um, (laughs) And they, at the last minute, relocated the airplane from the Chicago area to Augusta, Georgia. So that wasn't going to work anymore. Augusta's pretty nice. You can go to the Masters, you know, it's warm in the wintertime. <laughs> nope, that's it. The Masters is all that's there. <laughs> yeah, but it's warm in the wintertime. You don't have to deal with the snow, the wind, you know. It's it's clear you're not a real Chicago boy, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> clear, obviously, yeah. I do love Chicago, though. But yeah, it's, uh, it's the winters are rough. No, I, yeah, it's rough. I'm from here, though, so. Yeah. It's. Yeah, I'm used to it. When you were applying for these jobs, when you were looking for SIC jobs, what were you looking for? Were you kind of looking for like a safety culture? Were you looking for a fit, an airplane? Or were you applying to every job you could find and you were going to make it work and then try your best to make it work no matter what? When I had no turbine time, I was literally just looking for anybody who would get me a type rating. Um, I probably, I think I, I looked, I did like do a little bit of due diligence in terms of safety culture and just making sure that, you know, they seemed like legit outfits. Um, but I, to be honest, cast a really wide net because I was like, okay, I have no turpentine. time. Um, I, I had like 1200 hours total and most of it was in 172s. And so I was like, you know, I, I've got a good... <laughs> I'm willing to learn, but you know, I, I think I just had the sense that I knew my resume was still very much in the budding phases of my career. So I think you just have to be really willing to take whatever opportunities come your way, as long as it, you know, seems like a good, safe place to work. Um, but you know, I feel like, like so many strides have been made on the 135 side, um, to where, you know, those sketchier operators are, have been weeded out by the FAA a lot. So I don't think it's as much of an issue as it once was. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you can do just a little bit of due diligence, uh, even when you are on the lower time side of things. Yeah. And I mean, now it's a pilot's market again, so it's definitely a little bit easier. Uh, it was harder in the past to find these jobs. And I just released a podcast today with a NTSP board member and they were very much harping on the fact that they want safety management systems to be put in place for every single 135 and kind of 91 at carrier to make it even more safe. Um, 
So yeah, 90, 91, 135, 91K, that whole world is changing. It's not kind of what it was before. It's really not cowboys anymore or cowgirls, totally. I should say. Yep. It is. A lot of them have SOPs. You know, they, they operate under, well, where I am, we operate under AOMs, FOMs. Like a lot of them are adapting to what has worked in the airlines. And it's not just to show up and fly, don't use checklists. It's very much... You operate like an airline operates. Um, where I work, we 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 do AQP, uh, just like airlines do AQP. Our training is one twenty one, just like so. It's like it is really changing, and it's really getting into a safe, uh, a much better place than what it was in the past. And you're still going to have your your shady carriers. I mean, that's just kind of everyone thinks aviation is is awesome, and they want to get in, and they don't want to spend the money to to maintain a plane like they want to, and they want to make the profit. And there's still places like that, but it's, uh, like you said, you do a little bit due diligence and you should find a, a pretty good spot right now with the pilot market that is. Totally. Wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. It's, it's definitely encouraging to see that, you know, I feel like more of the norm is these operators that do have, you know, proper manuals and, you know, um, SOPs and company, uh, you know, guidelines of things that really do reflect kind of the best of the airline world. Um, and then, you know, molded to their company culture, but yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, my current company, we have safety management systems, we do all sorts of things. And so, yeah. And so even for the smaller companies to be adapting that kind of a thing, I think is great just for the overall safety culture of the industry. When you, you were coming up into, before you got into the, the private industry, the corporate industry in the world, you probably had some preconceived notions of what you thought it was going to be. Has all of those come to fruition or all of those true, I mean, whether it's horror stories or it's a great stories, or is this industry completely different than you thought it was? That's a really interesting question. I think it's been a mixture of exactly what I expected and nothing like what I expected. I think one thing, I remember my first full day at my charter operator um, it was my first day actually flying the Hawker and I felt so behind the airplane, um, that we finally got up into cruise. I was caught up on all the checklists and then I, you know, I just look over at the other pilot I'm flying with and, you know, we're flying to Scottsdale from Chicago. So we got some time and I was like, wait, so, so now what, now what do we do? Right. Because all of my training was in the sim and you don't have just that chill time in cruise. Learning that that is the majority of what you do, that was an interesting realization. I was like, oh, this is actually what you spend most of your time doing. Okay. All right. Um, just kind of readjusting that expectation. I don't know why I never had really thought about the fact that you spend a lot of time just hanging out in cruise. And now I love and appreciate that time of being kind of unplugged from the world, just uh, thinking, looking out the window, enjoying the view when it's, you know, thunderstorm or something summer thunderstorm season, a lot of times, you know, you're uh, refreshing the radar and double checking that. But, you know, on the nice weather days where you get to just kind of hang out, um, it's like really relaxing and kind of a meditative experience. And I feel like I didn't really expect to get that from uh, this job. Um, so I just remember being super surprised, like, oh, most of what we do is monitoring and hanging out. I'm like, oh, it's kind of oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, right. You're going to pay me to sit here for five hours. All right. <laughs> totally. And then you go yeah. to your recurrent and you're like, this is why they pay me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, a boring flight is a good flight. So that's the totally. best. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I, I did expect to make great relationships with the other pilots I fly with and the people that I fly for. And that has been 
even better than I thought, especially um, the individual who I fly for now is such a great person and treats all of his employees so well. And it's just created such a great culture within our little department that um, I am like, I'm so happy with where I've ended up and it's better than I thought it would be. And that part I think has been a great surprise. And that's the other reason why you know, I just, I couldn't imagine wanting to switch, especially over to be junior at an airline somewhere where I would just be a number. Whereas, you know, I've been with my current company for four years now and I feel really valued. And I like, love that I get asked, Oh, like, how's your house doing? How's your plane doing by my boss as he's boarding the plane? Cause he's invested in my life. And like, we know each other well, and he'll take us out to dinner sometimes when we're, you know, out on the road and just, having those relationships is a part of corporate aviation that I knew that I would really like. And it's been a really rewarding experience. Yeah. That's awesome. Nothing's worse than a toxic flight department. It's like, you do not want any toxicness going on in the cockpit with the owner. And that is kind of a case sometimes in, in corporate, especially with how aviation really follows the market or aviation, especially private aviation can go up and go down so quickly. And a lot of times it's the first thing to go and it can create kind of this weird environment where you were friends and now you're not, you know, like it's just, it's very important totally. to have such a good relationship and have the SMS systems in place and to, to just to make sure that everyone's kind of on the same page. And even just asking those questions, like, how's your house? How's your airplane? You know, they'll take you out to dinner. Like those things really do go a long way in a good corporate department. Absolutely. And I feel like that's another reason why on the corporate side, the interviews are so personality based. It's really, I mean, I hilariously, I have never been asked a technical question in an interview in my professional aviation career. (laughs) Um, All of the interviews I have gone to have truly just been, okay, so we have your resume. Who are you as a person? And how are you going to be on a five day trip to Alaska? Are we going to, you know, get along? Are you, you know, the type of person who can go with the flow and really adapt to changing situations, which is so important um, in this side of the industry to have that kind of flexibility, adaptability, and be able to change gears and not let it like ruin your whole day. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Um, when I got hired where I am now, they didn't ask a single technical question either. It's the whole mindset of we can teach you how to fly an airplane, but we want to make yeah. sure that you're a right fit for our culture and you're not inviting some, like we said, the toxicness into the, the department. Because all it takes is one person with a negative attitude to start bringing down everything. Absolutely. Yeah. So having that cohesiveness and also just being, you know, being willing to have some tough conversations if you do have conflict with somebody, I think is that's like another part of just like being an adult. I think that people underestimate, um, you know, like because sometimes you'll be on a flight and you just have a disagreement with the other pilot about how to do something and to be able to have just calm conversations about that after, after the fact, I think is super helpful to help keep things from getting toxic instead of like, Oh, well you wanted to go left around that cell, but I wanted to go right around that cell. And, you know, or, and, and just things like that, just to be able to have open lines of communication and a kind of no judgment zone. Um, and to really, you know, look at things like we're a team trying to solve the problem in the safest and most efficient way for everyone involved. Yeah, Now, when you were going through your training and you were kind of coming up into the industry before you really were applying to these jobs, but even just training CFI route, did you ever get pulled to the airlines? You know, you see so many people that are just like, Oh, we're going to the airlines or I'm getting offered this job or doing this and that. And you see airlines everywhere. You don't really see corporate out there. 
or fractionals mm-hmm. out there trying to really recruit anyone that's in, in training right now. Did you ever have, you know, maybe I should go airlines because that's what everyone else is going and there is really good money to be made or were you just the whole time? Nope, not for me. So I definitely considered it. I think it would have been unfair to not think about it really thoroughly and give it, you know, the full attention of like play it out, you know? Um, and I did consider it. I never applied to any regionals. Um, but I did for a time, especially when I was flying charter, I had applications in with the majors and I don't know uh, how that would have played out if I had ever gotten called. Um, I just wasn't competitive enough at the time. Uh, you know, you just don't build flight time quite as quickly as our airline counterparts. So my total times just are not as impressive as people who've been flying at the regionals for the last, you know, four years that I've spent being in the corporate side. I just don't fly as much, which is one of the reasons why my quality of life is so good. (laughs) Um, but, but yeah, so I did fully consider it and I was updating my applications. Um, this was years ago though. This was when I was still flying charter. And so right now, like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, I, I haven't touched anything in probably three and a half years. So everything's expired. I have no idea what any of my logins are on any of the app websites just because I've totally kind of set that idea down, at least for now. I'm also the type of person though, where I will never say never because I'm fully aware that this industry is such an ever growing and changing thing that I would not rule it out for forever. And I think that it's just kind of closed minded to say like, I will absolutely never do that because I think being, again, being open to different opportunities is what led me to so much career success thus far in my life. And so I don't think it's wise to say, well, I'm absolutely never going to do that because you just don't know. You just don't know what the future holds. But knowing what I know now and with how things are currently trending, um, I'm, I'm happy to kind of set that idea aside and be totally fulfilled and absolutely loving being in the corporate aviation world. Yeah. And I think it's important to really say that it's like it, even if you're at the majors or you're at a corporate job or you think you're at the job you love forever, it's aviation changes so much. And this industry is just constantly changing that it's really important to never say never. It's like, yeah, maybe not right now you want to go to the airlines, but who knows what five years or 10 years looks like. I mean, that's even on the airline side, like some airlines go out of business, some like things happen that you can never imagine could ever happen. So one good thing is always kind of keep in contact with those people that have kind of the cool jobs and never like really just trash them or anything like that. But just always, you never know where you might be in uh, five years or 10 years. So it's always important to, to keep things fresh and to, to kind of have an open mentality towards, towards everything. Absolutely. And yeah, so I will, I love cracking jokes about airline pilots and all my airline pilot friends and Oh, how being an airline pilot sounds boring. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you know, if I do end up at an airline and I end up liking it, you know, then that's great too. I think I just, you know, as of right now, this is where I'm at. And in the future, if that is an opportunity that opens itself and it ends up being a good situation, that's cool too. I think just, you know, looking for career satisfaction and quality of life and to look back on my aviation career and be really happy with all the decisions that I made. That's what I'm ultimately looking for. Retirement may be the biggest investment you'll ever make. So choosing the right financial partner is a huge decision. And at RAA, they get it. You've worked hard flying the line to get to where you are today. From years of flying in the military to career in commercial aviation with all its ups and downs. For nearly 30 years, RAA has helped pilots just like you achieve their financial goals and they can help you too. Meet with RAA Financial Advisor specializing in your airline for a free consultation at raa.com.
backslash pilot the pilot. That's pilot to pilot. Yeah. So going back a little bit to, to your story, how do you go from eight year old Julia wanting to be a pilot, knowing for sure she wants to fly aerobatics and not fly for the airlines? How did you go from the dream of being a pilot to actually becoming a pilot? Did, did you wait until college where you accidentally went to an aviation school or did you <laughs> take some lessons along the way, maybe get your private in high school or talk a little bit about that whole experience? Yeah, it was a little bit roundabout. So I got, um, I took my Young Eagles flight, um, my EAA Young Eagles flight when I was 10. Um, so a couple years after that first Oshkosh. And then my parents gifted me with an introductory flying lesson for my 12th birthday. So I got one of those huge old David Clark headsets and an introductory flying lesson for my 12th birthday. And I was absolutely smitten. Um, but, you know, being 12, I don't think I like absorbed everything <laughs> uh, from like the learning perspective. I was not interested in doing ground school. Um, I was interested in just flying. And so I did that on and off all from the time I was 12 to the time I was 18. I, I took, I, looking back at my logbook, yes, yeah, so my logbook goes back to November of 2003. Oh, wow. And yeah, right. <laughs> Crazy. And so I would take one to two lessons a month, which is absolutely not enough to, you know, actually build on. But I was also like 12, 13 years old. You can't solo for a few years anyway. So I was really just enjoying it. And I so appreciate my parents like encouraging me and being willing to pay for that. Like I owe them <laughs> so much debt of gratitude just for being so encouraging and also supportive of this interest and just kind of encouraging it and letting me um, kind of feel it out for myself. Um, so I didn't actually solo until I got to college, but I had, you know, this flight time just from these years of just kind of keeping the passion alive. And, you know, through high school, I was busy doing other stuff, sports and theater and like, you know, all the high school distractions. So I definitely did not focus energy towards aviation in those years. Um, but so it was really cool. Uh, I remember it was uh, the summer between high school and college and I went to Oshkosh and I realized that Illinois had an aviation program. And I was, I was like, Oh, I, I need to get my butt in aviation 101 and, and start working towards finishing my private because regardless of what career I have, that is a absolute priority in my life. Like something that I knew I would always come back to. And that was the other thing of it. Um, I don't know if I was in a hurry. I wasn't really in a hurry to get my ratings because I knew that I would come back to it. I knew that it would be something that I would pursue later in life if I didn't get my private, you know, in high school. So it wasn't like I didn't feel like I was on a strict timeline again, because I also wasn't really considering aviation as long term career. So I, you know, I had time and I so I decided to sign up for aviation as one of my elective courses. They didn't have an aviation minor. I was like, it would be cool if I could get like a minor in aviation and go through like commercial instrument and just like, you know, get those. But I decided to just like burn all my elective um, credits on aviation classes. And yeah, November of my freshman year, I soloed. And then I officially switched majors, I think that January. But I kind of knew. <laughs> I knew like right away. Um, the Especially the entry level journalism classes are just so like awful. Like it's just such, it's like the weed out process. It's like, Hey, go like interview all of these people for these things. And it's just, it's not very much fun versus the beginning aviation classes. You're literally flying like three times a week. Yeah. It doesn't get <laughs> and, more fun than that. Right. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it, you can't really compare. And I just remember sitting in ground school 
and being like, I, I'm getting college credit to learn this stuff. And I wanted to learn it anyway. Like, this is so cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think just like the excitement that my aviation courses brought me, I think my mom, my parents are funny. They're like, yeah, we, we had a feeling you'd switch to aviation kind of the minute you signed up for, you know, the private pilot classes. Like we kind of knew that this, that's where this was trending, but you had to figure it out for yourself. That's so, <laughs> yeah, they're really supportive. Did your parents think that you were eventually going to go the aviation route and they were just trying to let you find that out on your own? And I know they said like, once you signed up for it, but like the whole time, did they think, uh, you might do broadcasting, but we're pretty sure you're going to become a pilot and do that for yeah. your job. Yeah, I feel like I think they just saw, you know, and they had such a better perspective on it than me. But I think they just saw, you know, the way that anytime, especially like we we kept going to Oshkosh every year. And so just the way that I would light up and the excitement that aviation brought me and that like that airplanes and just being in that environment, how that just kind of made me light up in a way that talking about other things, I didn't really have that same, you know, spark or experience. And so I think they kind of, they say they knew the whole time. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> yeah, it's always but great yeah, to say that were, after the fact, right? Like, yeah. yeah, we totally knew. Yeah. Like, did you, did you, totally. <laughs> yeah. When did you know? Yeah. What day? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, but they're, they're great. I mean, they've been totally my cheerleaders since day one. And also they supported me switching to a major that was significantly more expensive than broadcast journalism. And just, yeah, I, I am so grateful for all of that support, um, both monetary and emotional. And just, I, I just try to pay it forward back to them and show them my appreciation whenever I get the opportunity. So when you say you accidentally found out they had an aviation department or program, you had no idea applying the whole time that there was no aviation at all. I didn't. Isn't that weird? <laughs> so I was at Oshkosh and I think I, I was like walking through the university area and I saw Illinois. And I think like, because I remember I went to the web cafe, this was in the years prior to, so this was 2010. So it was before they had um, like Wi-Fi around the grounds, but they did have like a couple little internet cafes. And I went and I emailed the aviation advisor while I was at the air show. And he said, hi. And this was July. So I was like, hi, I know classes start next month. Is there any way you can get me into Aviation 101 so I can start working on my private? I'm a, uh incoming freshman for broadcast journalism and I want to get my pilot license. And she was like, sure thing. So the only flight block that was left was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. And I was like, sounds great. Throw it on my schedule. And that happened at Oshkosh. So I... And it's, I don't remember exactly when I figured out that they had aviation, but I'm pretty sure it was at that Oshkosh, um, which is kind of funny. That's funny. If you didn't go to that Oshkosh, do you think you would have found it out anyway? Do you think you would have continued down the broadcast journalism road or do you think eventually you would have been called aviation? Oh, I, I would have figured it out once I was on campus. You got all the orange airplanes flying over the quad. I feel like I would have been curious enough about that. I, I do think, you know, everything happens for a reason and I probably would have ultimately ended up drawn back in the direction of flying for sure. What was your experience like at a 141 school? Was it as, as regimented as it sounds? Is it do this, do that, do this? Or did, could you find the fun in flying still while still having a, a pretty intense training program? Yeah, I really liked the 141 um, training program. Uh, the other thing is, again, I think the culture of the Illinois Aviation Department at the time was just so positive. It was like a really fun, all the full-time instructors were really fun. 
they really liked their jobs and they just created this environment of learning where we all were a really tight-knit group, the whole aviation department, and everyone was really encouraging of one another. And it was definitely, you know, the regimented 141. But at the same time, it had this kind of laid-back feel of just like, we just want you guys to become safe, competent pilots, and we want to help you in any way we can. And I just feel like, the, the again, the instructor culture there was so encouraging and uplifting and a really fun group of people. And so it does, it definitely didn't feel like the super strict intense 141 that you might hear about elsewhere. And I feel really grateful for that too, just because it, we all were really motivated, I think, uh, me and my classmates, but it wasn't like cutthroat or like, um, you know, it, it didn't suck the fun out of it having like, you know, deadlines for courses. I think instead we turned it into a more fun thing of like, oh, can you finish? your course before, you know, we leave for Thanksgiving break and, you know, like, oh, do you want to do some extra flying on the weekends? And um, just kind of making sure that it stayed fun while also meeting all of the requirements. I think that that's a really kind of difficult balance to strike, but it was trickle down because at the time, the chief pilot, um, Sybil Phillips, she is such an awesome person. And just every, I feel like she just bred this environment of um, instructors being, you know, there for their students. And, uh, it was a great time. That sounds like a great time. Sounds like a great environment to be around and, and really a good way to kind of go about the 141 world. Cause it is regimented. It can be tough and it can kind of be a drag, but finding the fun in it and, and focusing on being a safe and competent pilot can really kind of change the way it's, it's looked at and experienced. Absolutely. hundred percent. What are some, so say someone's listening to this right now, what are some tips you would give someone? Maybe they're going to Illinois to enroll in the aviation program, or they're just going to North Dakota, Ohio state, whatever it may be. What are some tips for someone to, to really get the most out of their aviation uh, career, college kind of managing time? What are some tips you'd give someone? Totally. Well, Illinois, <laughs> university of Illinois doesn't have the program anymore. They, uh, they gave it to the community, local community college, which is a big, uh, Illinois money related, unnecessary, uh, ridiculousness, but I digress. Um, just in general, <laughs> the 141, yeah, just if you're going to go into collegiate aviation, it is a balance. You have to get good at time management. And I definitely think that I was able to find a bit of that balance. It's hard though, you know, especially at a Big Ten school when you're really looking for that big college experience and you want to have fun. And, you know, I was in a sorority and I just, I really wanted kind of all of it from my college experience and to balance that with still getting your studies done. And especially on the aviation side, you know, you really need to prepare for your lessons if you're going to be good. If, if your instructor says, come back with the V speeds memorized and you don't, you know, that's just, you can't do that. And so I think setting forth expectations for yourself of, making sure that you prioritize um, aviation coursework in a way that your flight lessons are productive, I think is imperative. And also um, trying not to let your non-aviation courses slip either is also incredibly difficult as someone who definitely focused a lot of my energy on my flying stuff. And uh, you can't just get a degree with flying courses. You have to to take other courses, unfortunately. (laughs) Some of them were really cool though. You know, like, Severe and hazardous weather, one of my favorite courses and so applicable in aviation. And so I think um, trying to make sure that you 
yeah, become good at time management. I also worked a bunch of part-time jobs in college. And so I feel like I had a planner, you know, a daily planner and I would try to the best of my ability to plan out my days, but then also like plan out like leisure time, like just chill time because that's part of college too, you know? And so just being able to try to work that into my week and like, just go hang out with friends and like, like, Hey, do you just like want to go to the, you know, coffee shop and just like catch up and having that be an intentional part of my schedule. I think that helped keep me sane and balanced and yeah, still have fun, you know, go to the football games, but then also make sure that you're responsible and don't, you know, skip your classes. <laughs> yeah. And I think college and 141, it's all kind of by trial and error. Like you experience it and you, and you learn from mistakes and you're like, Oh, I really should have memorized all my V speeds. I'm in trouble now. <laughs> or like yeah. I should have <laughs> timed better for this. Or I shouldn't have like, it's all you kind of learn on your own. And some people figure it out earlier. Some people you know, they're just more drawn to planning out their day and they can figure it out. Um, I was not one of those people. So I had to, to learn the hard way. It's like, all right, I can't wake up 15 minutes before my flight lesson and expect to do well. It's like, I need to wake up a little bit earlier and manage my time better and between football and flying. But don't be too hard on yourself. It's something that you learn. I mean, you just got to continue to to grow and uh, study and become the best pilot you can be. It's, it's not an overnight thing. It, it takes a while to really get it. And there'll be a lot of ups and a lot of downs. So just try to enjoy it and try to get better every day. Yeah, absolutely. And I totally agree with what you said about live and learn and just kind of learning through those lived experiences. And yeah, give yourself... Uh, cut yourself a break, you know, you're especially, you know, when you're in college, you're so young and you have no perspective on, you know, like yeah. life. You think you know, <laughs> and so, but, but that's no part idea. of it. Yeah. Totally. But that's totally part of it is, yeah. you know, you get to learn more about yourself and like, you might not have known how good of an organizer you were because in high school, everything is so planned for you. And so it's when you have to be the initiator of it and yeah, you're going to fail probably. I mean, you're going to have situations where, you did something that you wish you hadn't, or you didn't manage your time well, and then you show up, yeah, you show up to a lesson unprepared, and that makes you feel bad. And I think that those are such, you know, intense experiences that they teach you so much better than anybody just giving advice could possibly. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And I think the hardest thing for me was having too much time sometimes, like maybe we had a week of no football. And then I had just all this free time where I could do whatever I wanted. And I never chose to do what I needed to do. I just chose to do what I wanted to do. You know, it's like I had too much time. <laughs> Dude, that's super relatable though. Yeah. I feel like, especially on a college campus, there's so many like other fun, not school related things yeah, to do. Like, absolutely. And that's when you get in trouble. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> what was the hardest uh, training part for you? Was it instrument? Was it private? The first check ride? What was kind of the toughest or the biggest roadblock you had in getting your ratings? You know, it wasn't any one thing. I think I just, I think, I feel like in every course I had like one kind of hang up thing. I remember when I was doing my private, I got super hung up on power off stalls because I would like let the nose fall really far. And then I would slam the power in and just like, it's just so funny looking back at it now um, to like the perspective that I have now, just knowing that, yeah, like that's not that hard and you figured it out. It's, it's going to be okay. Um, instrument, I think is hard for everybody. Um, especially our airplanes, half of them didn't have GPSs. So, you know, it's really legit. Like you're really like tracking a VOR with a needle in a six pack, you know, and there was an NDB at U of I. <laughs> um, and like our instructors would for real make us do NDB holds. And it was, you know, kind of, it was hard because I think you didn't have the perspective to realize like, 
okay, like hierarchy of things that you need to be worried about. Like, yes, you need to be able to fly an ILS. But if you hate NDB holds, so does everybody. And also the likelihood that you're actually going to need to use that is low. What they're really doing is, you know, teaching you how to adapt and how to, you know, really increase your scan and how to wind correct and how to, you know, it's, it's not really about doing the NDB hold. It's about taking those skills and using them to make you a better instrument pilot overall. And like partial panel, I was not, that was like the bane of my existence, especially in a six pack, you know, you've got so little resources flying by the camp compass is not something I would wish upon anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, definitely not. And it's funny you're talking about NDB holds where now when I'm flying, I just have a G5000. I just program the plane to hold and tell me when to turn, how long, estimate it. It'll, it'll do calculations. To, entry. Yeah, I know, like everything. The amount of time we all spent trying to learn how to determine hold entries. First of all, now I can literally look at any of them and immediately know. And I'm like, how? oh man, I wish I could have had that skill in college. But, you know, live and learn. And that now your friggin' GPS just tells you like. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Calculate your fuel to let you know how much fuel you have by your edict tire when it, whenever it's going to be done. It's just absolutely, it gives you the speed you need to fly it at. It's just I mind <laughs> It's so great. It's so great to have those resources though, for sure. And yeah, so like intro is, you know, hard. Everything was like, you know, you just had to figure out your weak spots in each course and kind of lean into them. And, you know, I... Um, I actually failed my private pilot check ride. It's the only one knock on wood that I had to have a second go at, but I had some, some bad check ride anxiety for a while that I had to overcome. And I know that that's super common. Um, but just, you know, dealing with that and figuring out how to not get so nervous that I just forgot how to do the things that I knew how to do, um, and getting that, gaining that skill. And I think because I had so much anxiety, I actually decided to commit a lot of time and energy to getting good at check rides. And now, you know, every six months I'm in the sim and I have figured out how to conquer that both by with humor. So I will always crack jokes to my Czech pilots and they, they usually like that and just being precise and just like getting good at it. You know, it's a skill, I think. Um, and something that you, as you get better at it, you feel more comfortable with it. Um, but also you just have to take more check rides over time. So your first one, if you're super nervous, I think that that's totally fair and normal. How did you fail your private? If you don't mind me asking. Totally. Um, diversion. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I told him it would take twice as long to get there. Like I was doing crazy mental math and I like freaked out and said it would take like a completely different amount of time and gas to get there. And he was like, well, that's not great. (laughs) Um, and then I, like had a really not great landing coming in from that diversion. Also, I was getting over a cold and it got sinus block. Don't fly with colds, kids. Um, so if you if you yeah if you've never had sinus block, um, it makes you go cross-eyed and you absolutely like cannot like think, let alone you know fly precisely. So yeah, so ultimately learned some very valuable lessons, and um, you know I think I figured out how to not repeat that. <laughs> how did you get over your kind of check ride anxiety? I know you said you crack jokes and all that, but that's kind of, you, you built that, that trait, you built that skill. How did you go from uh, failing a check ride to being anxious, to being comfortable? I think realizing that it was normal really helped. Like I, uh, as I like talked to people about it and realized that I wasn't alone, I think that that really helped. 
realizing that at some point in time, the people who were examining me also were nervous for check rides. I think that helped. Like we're all pilots. And so we've all been in that boat and just knowing that like everyone has dealt with it and coped with it. I think that that helped me feel like I wasn't, you know, going through something super weird or, you know, like I wasn't alone. Um, and I think that that just kind of helped me like mentally overcome feeling like I was the only one experiencing this. Cause obviously all of us had felt like that at some point. And so it is almost like, you know, comforting, like, Oh, well, we're all in the same club, you know? And I, I have been nervous during a check ride and probably at some point, so is Bob Hoover, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm sure he was. Yeah, definitely. Everyone has kind of the check ride nerves. I still, I mean, I fly the latitude and every, every nine months we have to go back in. I mean, there's always some kind of nerves of, of going into kind of a jeopardizing ride or per se. Uh, AQP is a little different. There's not like one jeopardizing ride. So you kind of have to be on your game at all times. Uh, but it's like a six month check ride or PC check or whatever you're going in for. You're always going to have nerves. You could be flying the same plane for 20 years and you're still going to have kind of like, well, hopefully my examiner is in a good mood because a lot of times they can fail you for whatever they want. You know, like if they really find something, they could find reasons to fail you. But you, good thing is most examiners are not like that and are not looking to fail people. Totally. And that's why I try to make friends with all my examiners and try to make them laugh or, you know, just make it a light, lighthearted energy instead of like bringing the anxiety into the sim or into the airplane, you know, just like try to leave that at the door and just talk to them like they're a person. And yeah, maybe crack a joke as I'm like running a checklist or something. And then I think it puts them at ease too, because they're, they can be in a really like serious mood, but if you make them feel more comfortable, I think then they're going to be more relaxed towards you and towards the situation, which helps a lot. Definitely. Talk a little bit about going from just being a CFI, having so much time in a 172, flying with Textron with the internship to going into, was it a hawker sim and getting checked out on a hawker? Was it a uh, training by fire hose where you just felt like you're behind the whole time? Did you feel like it was easy to make the transition from a small, simple, quote unquote, plane like a 172 to the hawker? Just talk a little bit about that experience of going from the 172 CFI to being an SIC. It was so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, like, yeah, not to sugarcoat it at all. I, it was hard. It was a, it was a really overwhelming experience. And, and I, I had no idea how complicated, no one like tells you, no one's like, oh, well, so when you go to your first type rating, you are going to have to learn the system. You're going to have to learn this, 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 and this, and all this stuff about this airplane. And then you're going to jump into the sim of this airplane that you've never flown yet. And the sim flies as fast as the airplane. And you are going to feel like you have no idea what you're doing. Oh, and by the way, the thrust levers are not instantaneous because it's not a throttle. And so you have to get used to that. And you have to look at your trend vector with your airspeed. And it's like, it was so overwhelming. Um, I definitely like had a couple like, mental breakdowns and training again also i'm a perfectionist which a lot of pilots are so that's not abnormal either but i was like frustrated that i wasn't immediately good at it <laughs> and i think tempering those expectations talking i had a really great sim partner which helped so much and he and i would you know like run flows after the sims and like run checklists because again getting comfy with the checklist is so helpful in the sim and if you're if you feel good with that i feel like then you can just focus on the flying part. And um, yeah, so the having a great sim partner helped calm me down a lot. And by, by my check ride, 
I mean, I was, I was flying that thing so precisely because I think I had, um, spent so much time chair flying and also stressed myself to the point of overstudy, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend, but, uh, everybody will probably do it at some point. But I thought that they expected you to know everything. You know, you show up to flight safety and they hand you these manuals that are four inches thick. And I was like, oh, they want me to know all of this. Uh, challenge accepted. I will. <laughs> and I, I overstudied and I overprepared. Um, but ultimately, I do think that that helped me uh, in the long run because I was so overprepared that my check card went really smoothly. But then I was like, oh, now I have a frame of reference of like, I don't need to do that every time. So it was a very intense experience, but I do think that it helped me kind of figure out the middle ground. Like I overshot and like way overprepared. And now I know like, okay, this is an appropriate amount of study that I need to do and terrifying that I need to do to be good. Um, but they're not looking for perfection. Obviously, you know, you just want to be good and safe. Safety is obviously a paramount, but just kind of figuring that out um, on my own <laughs> was kind of intense. But yeah, it was total fire hose, totally intense, great experience. Um, and yeah, I got my ATP the same day as I got my first type rating. So, and it was Halloween 2015. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really funny when you go into like a sim or like a uh, 135 91 world or more now so than kind of the past, but how a lot of the stressors when you're new is going to be your flows and call outs and knowing when to do them and what to say. Like you can figure out usually how to fly the airplane and so the airplane slows down and like you can figure that out a little bit faster. But then it's remembering what to say, when to say it. And then once you figure out what to say, when to say, then you got to figure out how to do it all together, how to fly the airplane and do it and become second nature. If you can study those flows and study and just have those call outs and flows done really well, you will set yourself up for so much success in the sim. It is Holy. shocking. It's amazing how stressed you can be over just like one call out. It's like, wait, was I supposed to say a thousand above or clear? Like, what am I, when, what do I say? When do I say it? Totally. Yeah. That and the, um, the profiles. So the profiles of like when to configure for each approach and like what to configure, especially if you're single engine versus two engines, having that down. Oh my gosh. Life-saving just because then you can actually focus on, you know, flying the plane correctly, accurately, and safely. Yeah. I remember when I, so I flew, my first jet was the latitude. And before that I flew a PC 12, which is still, I mean, it's like a, it's a faster airplane, but it's still not a jet it's still a single engine turboprop, but I was so like, I wanted to prove that I could fly the airplane and I could do a really good job. So the first sim lesson, it was like four hours, whatever. <laughs> I just hand flew the whole thing. And I just wanted to prove to myself that I could fly it. Like I could work the throttles. I could do everything like just, and then the guy I was flying was like, congratulations. You proved that you can fly. You can fly better than half the people here, but you're making it way harder on yourself. It's like, use the autopilot, yep. <laughs> use everything yep. you can to make this as easy as possible and kind of cooperate, cooperate and graduate and make it happen. But he's like, you proved it yourself. Totally. You can fly now. Turn the autopilot on. <laughs> I was like, okay. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It doesn't show weakness that you have the autopilot at all or using the automation. No resource management. Yeah. It's being a good, competent resource managing pilot for sure. So what tips would you give someone in your situation to better prepare themselves to, to be in a better spot than you were per se on your first lesson to avoid the mental breakdowns or to avoid any kind of difficulties in their training? What could they do to, uh, to set themselves up best? Yeah, I would say, you know, study the limitations, know your red items, know your uh, immediate action items. There's usually not too many. Um, and try to spend time outside of the sim preparing, but not over preparing. 
you know, you want to, you don't want to lose sleep over it, but spending some time chair flying, especially when, it, when, when it's your first jet can help so much just because you've kind of already mentally run through the scenarios. Um, and yeah, don't, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, the instructors are there to help and they will give you tips as you go. So. Yeah. Don't be hard on yourself. That's a huge one. And they're not expecting you to be perfect. And especially if you're coming from a smaller airplane, they kind of know that they're going to work with you a little bit and hopefully a good instructor will uh, do a good job at that and not make you feel kind of inadequate and like you don't belong. Exactly. hundred percent. What do you, so where you are right now, you are a captain on two of them. What are in two citations? What do you look for, for like, what makes a good SIC for, cause a lot of people are coming up right now and there's more opportunities. And when we were first coming up, you know, they're getting hired at 500 hours or less, but what makes a good SIC from your perspective of being an SIC and now being the PIC and the captain in charge? Yeah, I think some qualities, definitely communication being you know, unafraid to speak up when you see something that the pilot flying might not, um, but also tactful communication. So, you know, not just like yelling things, um, but yeah, like having enough confidence in yourself to speak up when need be, um, you know, being good with the checklists is pretty basic, but um, trying to make yourself a valuable member of the team and remembering that you and the PIC, you as SIC and the PIC are working together to the best outcome. You know, you're on the same side. You're not opposing forces. You are trying to work together and use all of your brain power and all of the things that each of you brings to the table to, you know, conduct the flight safely and efficiently. And, you know, if things arise, if you start to have problems, try to be the best resource for that PIC. You know, when they request things, do them. And, you know, if, if you start to have emergencies or just even unexpected situations, you know, run the checklist, do be, be that valuable resource so that your team member, you know, the PIC can utilize their higher level of experience to try to delegate and figure out the best course of action um, as things get hairy. And again, it could be anything from just picking around weather to having me uh, mechanical issues. Um, just be a good team member and have enough confidence to give input when needed, I think are yeah. some good. And knowing how to phrase questions too, to make, don't yes. make the PIC look stupid or like, obviously there's many times when you forget something or you're just not on your A game and don't be kind of like a, an annoying, I don't want to say brat, but just like the annoying know-it-all over there that just like, well, you didn't do this. It's like, learn how to phrase the question to not make them kind of uh, feel bad or I don't know. It, it's very kind of a fine line to walk in and how you approach those questions, especially with different captains that you fly with. Because not all of them are going to be like very cool. Like sometimes you're going to get the captain's been flying for 50 years and he knows what he's doing and all that kind of stuff. And they forget stuff still. And you show them and then their ego is going to be hurt and it could be kind of awkward. So it's very important to know how to phrase your questions. And that's something you kind of learn as you go. And that's with aviation. It's trial and error. You learn. It's like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not putting the flaps up right away when I'm doing my go around. You know, you kind of just learn as you go. Totally. hundred percent. Yeah. And being open to learn, being open to learning from those experiences, I think is really a great quality also for any pilot, but, you know, especially SIC when you're getting into the, um, professional flying world, being willing to learn and um, just be a sponge to absorb all of those experiences and learn from the PIC that you're flying with. Definitely. So last thing we can kind of talk about before we go to the rapid fire section is your aerobatics. What, uh, what is that looking like right now? You just bought a plane 
Uh, do you want to, to solely compete in aerobatics? Would that be like your dream is just to con just to, to be the next Patty Wagstaff or to just solely be an aerobatic pilot? Or do you always want to kind of balance corporate and aerobatics? Kind of just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a good question. So yeah, I did just buy a decathlon and I am gearing up for this summer. The competition season in the Midwest is kind of shifted more towards late summer, early fall. Um, but yeah, I'm getting ready for my first, uh, aerobatic competitions and I am definitely interested in flying air shows also. Um, most people who do those things though, are also professional pilots, um, because that side of the industry is you usually are spending more than you're making unless you are, you know, the paddy steps of the world. And so to have a steady aviation job is super, uh, helpful financially. Um, but also just in terms of stability because, uh, air shows like we saw last year, they were all canceled. And so if that's your primary source of income, that's pretty rough. But in terms of my long-term goals, yeah, I want to see how far I can go in competition aerobatics and really just um, take that as far as I can. And when I feel like I have enough experience and uh, am you know flying consistently and safely, uh, transition into the air show world also. But yeah, most of those air show guys are also either airline or corporate uh, anyways. You know, Greg Koontz was a corporate pilot till like five years ago. Skip Stewart, I know, is an airline pilot. There's a, there's a lot of that in the air show world. And so it's just being able to coordinate your schedules. But um, I, would love, I would love to be able to strike that balance with both of them. And it's an expensive um, yeah, industry. It's like a, it's an expensive side of aviation into. So why not go fly for an airline and then have them help you pay for it rather than you try to raise the money or try to do other things? Totally. But yeah, it's so much fun. Again, it's something I've wanted to do for my whole life. And last winter, I went down to fly with Patty and take get some instruction from her and uh, have been just kind of building upon that. And then, yeah, purchased this airplane in March of this year. So I've only had it for a few months, uh, but it's been quite the adventure. And I'm really looking forward to just kind of seeing how far I can take things and how much uh, fun I can have doing aerobatics. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's really cool. And I think it's it's really important. And I think aerobatics has helped you and it can help other people. Uh, when you're when you're growing in this career, like you get into it because you love it and it's fun. And then as you continue to go, for a lot of people, it becomes a job. It becomes more of a monotonous fly to point A to point B and they forget the love of aviation. So it, if you do aerobatics, if you fly GA on the side, it can kind of bring back that love of aviation and you can remember that you are doing something that's very, very cool that people wish they could do for a career and for a job. So I think aerobatics for you and maybe for a lot of other people can help keep it fresh and keep it fun because what we do is awesome and it's a lot of fun, but it's very easy to forget that. Totally. 100%. One thing about aircraft ownership that I think I underestimated is how much I like, I love it more than I thought I would, which is pretty uh, intense because I had high expectations but it has reignited my passion for general aviation and, you know, buzzing around small airports and just meeting the cool people that are also interested in aviation and just sharing those loves of, you know, flying and especially flying cool airplanes upside down. Just it's such a cool community of people. And I mean, yeah, the reason why I keep going back to Oshkosh after, you know, 20 years is the people. I It's a family reunion for me. And I love reconnecting with like-minded people and it totally keeps me rooted in why I got it started and all of it. So yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah, definitely. I've never flown a tailwheel before, believe it or not. So I want to get my tailwheel one day 
and uh, buy a tailwheel and go fly because it just looks fun. It looks like a great way to experience aviation and just kind of fly low and fly slow. It's funny how you, you start low and slow you wanna, and you want to fly high and fast and you get the high and fast and you want to fly low and slow. So it's kind of funny how everything works right, with aviation and when you come up in the career. Totally. It's so funny. And, um, it's, it's great when you can get to the part where you're flying high and fast and then making enough money that you can also go back to flying low and slow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We can do both and that's the best. Totally. Best of both worlds. Perfect. Well, I have some rapid fire questions for you. These are just quick aviation questions and you say the first one that comes to your mind or you say that you answer it with the first answer that comes to your mind. Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite airplane? Any airplane in the whole world. What's your favorite airplane? Uh, extra 300. What about a corporate jet? Ooh, corporate jet. I love the Gulfstream 650. What about an airliner? Um, I got to say Airbus 320. That's my husband flies. All right. That's fair enough. I don't know if many people <laughs> really say that's a favorite, but you know. <laughs> eh, it, it's, it's a nice ride, you know. Yeah, it gets the job done, right? That's what my dad flies, so I guess I should yeah. say that. <laughs> What's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? The shorts. Yes, that is such an ugly airplane, man. Yeah, I was yeah, doing the I shorts. I had a buddy who used to fly the shorts when he flew cargo. And I was yeah. like, man, you fly the ugliest airplane on earth. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. What's something good. you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Um, that everyone has struggles and it's not necessarily easy for anybody. And you got to just work through it and be dedicated and committed and you'll get to the other side. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? So I've met Bob Hoover, um, but I would love to bring him back and just have like a whole day of picking his brain. And I think he's probably one of the coolest pilots who has ever lived. Oh, I would say that is a safe assumption to say he's a pretty, pretty cool, or he was a pretty cool guy. We could all learn a lot from him. Yep. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Um, the community. Uh, aside from, you know, the fact that flying is one of the coolest things a person can do, the people that are attracted to aviation are some of the coolest people I've ever met and the cool people that it has brought into my life. And yeah, I met my husband through aviation and most of my friends are pilots. I think that's pretty common for a lot of us, but just, you know, how encouraging and cool the community of pilots really is. Favorite airport you've ever landed at? <sighs> that's a good one. I really like, um, I like Anchorage because I love Alaska and, uh, we go there usually once a summer with the, uh, the citation and just being surrounded by 747s is quite the experience. Yeah. You never feel small or insignificant until you're next to a bigger airplane, you know? <laughs> and you're usually like, there's like three in front of you and yeah. three behind you and you're sitting in your, you know, and in your mid-sized business jet, like, okay, I uh, really need to watch out for all this wave turbulence, but also this is incredibly cool. <laughs> yeah. And your plane's just like moving all over the place because it's catching all the engines in front. It's like, all right, can we stop? Just start the other engine, people. Come on. <laughs> I know. It's so fun though. So cool. Oh, and also, um, I really like uh, St. Thomas. That's a cool airport. What's your least favorite airport? Um, probably Teterboro. I, and I actually like Teterboro. Oh, I like Teterboro overnights because I have a lot of family in New York. So I'll just like take the bus or an Uber into the city. But like getting in and out of Teterboro is legitimately one of the worst things about being a corporate pilot. <laughs> it's always bumpy going to Teterboro. Well, they always it's take like you out over like the hills. Yeah. Always windy, always bumpy. Uh, I actually You're really always... like the Newark approach controllers because they just like, no, they have 
they know exactly what they need to do when they need to do it. And there's no kind of bull crap. You just do it, get it done. Boom, 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 boom. So like, I like that part of it, but yeah, it's very rarely smooth. It's very rarely not windy. So yeah, but it's a, it's a challenging place for sure. And you got to circle sometimes it, it can be a mess. Yeah. Yeah. You're like circling. You've got like 30 knots of crosswind. You've got that hard altitude on the ILS. And it's just like, you know, you do so many factors. Um, and it's usually crazy busy. I've had VFR perfect days and we, it took us three hours to get out of there just because of ground stops and flow control. Just like, my gosh. <laughs> What's your favorite aviation book you've ever read? Ooh. Um, I really liked, um, Sully's autobiography, which is a little bit of a more personal aviation story, but also basic aerobatics is Mike Goulian's book. And that was such a great resource for me as I've been getting started in aerobatics. What's your favorite airport food? Let's say uh, you are flying out to your airplane and you get a 30 minute, uh, you're in Midway, no, you're in any airport ever and you want to get some food in the food court, what's your go-to? Uh, love the airports that have a Chick-fil-A. For yes, sure. absolutely. Um, I, I do like uh, the like fancier ones too. Like O'Hare's got the Wolfgang Puck. That one's a good good one too. Yeah, I was to say Midway, but Midway's food is probably some of the worst food in all of all airports. Yeah, not great. <laughs> <laughs> not great at all. Um, what's your hardest check card you ever had? Um, probably my CFI. What is but the biggest win of your career? The biggest win of my career? Making it this far at this age and just kind of <laughs> looking around and being like, oh my gosh, this is all really happening. <laughs> That's awesome. What's the biggest regret in your career if you have one? Um, not getting my private in high school. Like, I feel like I could have done that and I think it would have set me on the path I'm on just a little sooner. IFR or VFR? What would you rather fly? VFR. Least favorite. No, I already asked that. Uh, let's see. <laughs> would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Ooh, probably mountains. I love going in and out of the mountains. Long flight? So when I say this, let's say you're in your decathlon and the longest flight you could possibly <laughs> make in the decathlon or as many short trips as possible. Probably a lot of short ones. What about in the jet? As long as possible or as many short trips as possible? I mean, I really like in the middle, but that's yeah, not an yeah, answer. Not an <laughs> I would probably say a, a, long, a long leg's okay. You know, I can uh, sometimes, you know, read through, step on the iPad or uh, take just enjoy the view. And uh, then you get to your destination and head to the hotel, you know. What's your favorite airline livery? Uh, again, I feel like I got to say frontier. That's the family airline, uh, that my husband's at. So <laughs> would you rather fly as a passenger on a CRJ 200 or an ERJ 145? That's a terrible question. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I just say CRJ or ERJ, you're going to pick the ERJ cause you're going to think the 175. So if I do it specifically <laughs> between the 200 and 145, it's like the two worst airliners in the history of airlines. So I think I'll go CRJ though. The 200, uh, but you know, that's, that's, not a great choice. <laughs> yeah, sorry to everyone that flies out and just a crap on your airplanes. They're a great plane. I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. sorry friends. <laughs> yeah, sorry. sorry. Friends. But they're just not as fun to ride on the back. The, the 175 is one of my favorite planes to fly on as a passenger. It's a great one. Yeah. It's yeah, great. it's a great one. Uh, Piper Cessna, what would you rather fly? Ooh, okay. So I actually got my private in Pipers and then I flew Cessnas like for the rest of my time after that. Uh, I think my heart's, my heart's in Pipers, but I do love 172. So. If you were to recommend <laughs> training to someone, would you recommend 141 training or 61? Depends on the person. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, 
we can go 141 just because that's that's where my heart's at. Absolutely. All right, Julia, those are all of the questions I have for you. I guess the last question I really have for you right now would be, you can give three tips of advice to someone that's listening to this right now. Maybe it's a young girl. Maybe they're eight, they're 10. For some reason, they found a podcast and they're listening to it. <laughs> and they're like, I want to be a pilot just like Julia. What are some tips you would give that young girl to be put herself in the best position to either be where you are or to even get even farther than where you are at your age? You know, what would you tell her? Totally. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I started sharing my journey on social media is because I wanted to like, tell people like that, not only is it possible to pursue these things, but you know, here's how I've done it because I feel like that didn't exist when we were coming up in aviation, but just this whole aviation, social media movement of people sharing their journeys is so awesome. Um, but in terms of tips, I would say, don't let, uh, other people's opinions slow you down and, you know, have confidence in your own path, work hard and study and show up prepared so that if anybody does doubt you, you can prove them wrong. And listen to the advice of people who are where you're hoping to be in the future and just be a sponge and try to absorb as much of their wisdom as possible uh, to move forward and apply it to your own journey. I love it. Those are great tips and uh, yeah, very valuable information. But Julia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was really great talking to you and I uh, look forward to maybe meeting you in person one day. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see you at Oshkosh. Yeah, okay, absolutely. <laughs> for sure. But Sounds thank you good. so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin. This was a blast. And that is a wrap of episode 179 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Thank you so much for all my sponsors. Uh, it is awesome just having their, their support and wanting to be a part of this podcast. Nation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you do, please go ahead and follow Pilot Julie on all of her social platforms. It should be below. Go to her Instagram at Pilot Julie. Nation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.